Welcome to the Blueprint Podcast, where we throw out the old blueprint so you can become who you were always meant to be. If you haven't already, make sure you share this podcast with your friends on social media and tag me in it at jbrandfit. Today, we have Essen Pinarli, licensed clinical social worker, who's going to talk to us about the nervous system and how to navigate that. So Essen, welcome to the Blueprint Podcast. Tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, and who you help. Thank you for having me. So as Jason said, I'm a licensed clinical social worker and a master certified addiction professional. So I help a wide variety of clients, individuals that struggle with anxiety, depression, uh, relational trauma, attachment, couples using the emotional focus therapy method meets psychodrama, meets imago, just a lot of different modalities in there. And families, I love family systems but addiction and trauma, very trauma-based practitioner, because I really feel like at the root of everything, everybody has had trauma, whether they're big T's or little T's, big traumas or little traumas. I think we've all encountered, and trauma is basically something that we witnessed or happened to us and the way that we perceived it and how it affected our nervous system the imprint that it left. And it's how we interpreted what happened. So people are like, oh, I don't have trauma. So people have it so much worse. And it's no, everybody has a certain level of embedded trauma, depending on how you processed whatever happened to you or whatever you witnessed. It's all about the interpretation. And that's all taken in through your nervous system and the imprint that it left. And so much of that actually happens prior to you being born. And then now you've been gifted this opportunity to be on the planet and all these other things from our environment, our experiences, these things happen to us as part of the human experience, moving and navigating through life. And so you enter into a lot of these things without the tools necessary to be able to process them. Is she playing or is she screaming at a neighbor? There's usually somebody that walks by or it's Uh the Amazon guy. So she's super protective. I like it. Yeah. It's probably the Amazon guy. That's like an Amazon bark. Yeah. And Um, somebody wrote a good explanation about the trauma thing. And I also want to extend it a little further that trauma is the the disconnection from self. When you experience and get impacted, often people who experience trauma describe it, if they can remember it, that they feel disembodied and they regulate. In order to regulate, they disassociate. And that is our body's self-protective mechanism, which is part of the nervous system. It basically is we're in this disembodied, disassociated state in order to regulate. And the interesting thing is that your body, your nervous system automatically does that to protect you and floods you at whatever age the trauma occurs with natural opiates into your bloodstream to numb so that you don't feel the intensity of whatever that trauma is because your brain at that point cannot handle the severity of the impact of whatever that trauma is because you are still developing, you have a developing brain. And if those opiates do not flood in to create regulation into your nervous system, you would literally fry the top half of your brain. It protects your brain cells. It's literally helping you survive. And we disassociate to regulate and disconnection from self begins when we have 
that sort of disembodied state and that interpretation of the event. And we don't always remember it. And sometimes trauma is something you don't remember and sensationally. But yeah, one the body keeps the score. The body keeps the score. But one thing that you said that was really important before that, you were making a comment about it, it starts in the womb. Yeah. It starts in the womb. Your nervous system is wired to your mother's nervous system. And if your mother is anxious when she's pregnant, you come out primed for fear. And then as we know, implicit memory comes on and implicit memory until about four years old. And at that point, we're sensational beings. We are not verbal. We're pre-verbal at that point. So everything we experience, we're storing on a sensational level inside of our body. That's what really what the body keeps us or ideology comes from, that we are storing these experiences sensationally into an internal database and it's becoming it's and then around four and the age changes, then explicit memory comes on and then we're still storing things into the database. What is it like to be in connection with mom and dad? Are they connected and attuned to me? And the attunement, a lot of times parents try to be attuned, but it there's a lot of misattunement or no attunement at all. Right. And and those are the memories that start to build up in us. And they are the collective inherent stories inside of our bodies that our nervous system doesn't have the capacity at that age to actually process. So we disassociate to regulate. We disembody. We disconnect. It doesn't feel safe to be in our body at those ages. And then we grow up and we automatically disassociate or we feel disembodied. And a lot of times with clients, I'll say, and one of the things to do to work with your nervous system somatically, which means of the body, is where do you feel that in your body? And a lot of my, I don't know. I'm not connected to my body. I've tried to get out of my body because no, nothing in my body feels seen. Yeah. And then you're like, I hold stress in my neck or in my shoulders or in my lower back or. That's a great place to start, right? Because A lot of people who tend to be avoidant or who tend to disassociate are not as connected to their emotionality and connected to their internal feelings. So it's a great place to start just to have an idea. I do. I feel here. Okay, that's good enough. We don't have to know exactly where I have more people who are anxiously attached or who feel so much and don't disassociate, say, oh, I feel it in my chest or my heart's dropping into my stomach. And I haven't heard from him in in three days and my pulse is going up and I feel a tightness in my chest. They can be more expressive about it. But the avoidance, all we need is a knowingness that if, if that's where it's showing up, then we know that's good enough. That's all. That's all. Yeah, that, that acknowledgement is just it's so incredibly powerful for the individual to be able to talking about the avoidant to be able to acknowledge and identify what am i feeling and that is becoming more intimate with yourself yes what am i feeling how do i feel about this a lot of times people are like i don't know and i'm yeah. like okay just get curious just get curious don't force it what am i feeling am i feeling I start with, do you feel safe? And they're like, no. I'm like, that's a great place to start. You don't feel safe. So what does make you feel safe? Give me moments. Running away. 
Yeah. And avoiding and running away feel safe because the vehicle for attachment is your nervous system. So you can read books like Attached that are wonderful and you can get the knowledge, right? And so it goes to this idea of name it to tame it. And so people are very cognitive and that's very left brain, right? And we want to know because we need to have a narrative to make sense of our experiences. Right. That's not enough because the right side of the brain is the feel it to heal it. So if name it to tame it is the left side of the brain and feel it to heal it is the right side of the brain. And so when we're working with the nervous system, we are working to understand that is the vehicle that is the self-protective vehicle that helps us to deem what is safe and not safe. And it looks that neuroception by Stephen Porges that we always talk about, everybody experiences it. And it happens in a millisecond. We scan our environment. We are so uh, like body language, facial cues. When I talked about prosody, about polyvagal last time, prosody is the intonation of your voice. Is there stress in someone's voice? Does that indicate all of that happens in a millisecond? It is this threat detector, this automatic threat detector that happens in a millisecond. It goes into the database. When else have I had this experience and what did I feel like? And automatically it says safe or not safe. It says the closest closest clear because something resonated from your database that you had a similar experience stored in that database that reminds you of this moment, this experience, this person that feels safe. And it's very subconscious. We don't know why all the time. We can't associate it. So the best way I could describe it, because you talk a lot about mountains and I love mountains, right? (laughs) So I had a client say, when I look out into the mountains, I automatically feel safe because I grew up in the mountains. My house wasn't safe. I didn't live in a safe home. But the mountains were safe. It was an escape for me. So whenever I see any kind of a mountain, I say to myself, coast is clear. My nervous system feels safe. And when your nervous system feels safe, it's more regulated. And when you're more regulated, you can be in connection with people. You can be creative, right? And so this it's the integration of right and left brain. So how do I balance the cognitive with the emotional? Because the birthplace of creativity is the right side of the brain. But here's the thing. Everything's connected to the brainstem, which emanates into your body. So the vehicle for everything is our nervous system. How we attach. When we talk about attachment styles, we have to know the nervous system to understand why we attach, how we attach, and why our nervous system feels safer with certain people than other people and why certain people scare us and we run. Yeah. And it just goes back to the very beginning when a baby's learning to crawl, there, there's these natural processes that happen throughout our lifetime. And so in the very beginning, they might be this dog, I tell you what. So, so they learn things in stages and some of these things are innate. And so you might Mm -hmm. start to move around a little bit more and you're trying to create some sort of awareness by doing that. What am I capable of doing? And so then you learn to crawl and you start to realize that by crawling, 
you're building muscle and you're mm-hmm. creating the neural pathways of being able to do these things effectively. Mm-hmm. And then as you're crawling, you might take a look back at your parent to create spatial awareness and how far, how long does it take me to get away from this person, but also to come back to them. Yeah. And that's from the book Attuned. I, I forget the author's name, but I know. Uh, no, I can't in, wait to read it. In the way that he speaks about it, it's like that spatial awareness. You're like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so if you crawl away and now your parent's gone, what does that do for the child? Because now you can't see them. You don't know that they're there. They don't feel they, safe. They don't feel nervous. safe. And that can More create nervous. the anxiety. And so there's all these little things, micro things that happen throughout all that the developmental yeah. stage that cause you to have. Yes. Or can be the catalyst for that level of dysregulation. Right. Because like for me, I was the child in the playpen that didn't move. <laughs> and, why, and, and, then, and then one day they said you were walking like you didn't have much of a crawling stage. It was you were on your back. And then one day you're standing up and, and walking. Oh, yeah. and so and, and the important thing to also notate is that babies don't know how to self-regulate. Right. They don't know how to self-regulate. They rely on co-regulation and attunement and connection and love for survival. Love, attention, connection. Imagine a little child reaching up to be held and it's met with rejection or the the parent doesn't pick them up in that moment. Maybe they were busy. They were focused on something else. But eventually the child stops reaching. Right. But imagine how painful that is when you keep reaching and you don't get it. Then you what you do is you disconnect from your needs. You disconnect from your needs. I had a need. I kept reaching. It wasn't met. So I have to figure out how to do it on my own. And I stopped reaching and I almost shut off my need. I don't need it. And whatever I need, I'll do it on my own. So then that's where that disembodiment begins. That's where that it, it's not always disassociation. Sometimes it's just checking out of the body and just being disembodied and not attuned to your own emotions because they're not getting met. And so if it's consistently not met and the studies have shown that people who end up with that lean towards an avoidant attachment style, their needs are not met about uh, 10% of the, their needs are only met about 10% of the time. And with the other insecure attachment styles, it's about 30%. So imagine your needs are only met 10% of the time. And so you're going to stop reaching for that and you're going to say, it was never met before. And so when someone offers it to you as an adult, what would make me think that I would take help from you? Because nobody ever helped me. So yeah. I'm not comfortable. My nervous system doesn't have the capacity to take the help. You don't know how to receive it. You don't know how to receive it, right? So how can I hold? We, you know, we've always talking about how do I hold that? Your nervous system will get overwhelmed with something that you're not familiar with. And if it learned a long time ago to deny itself of needs and receiving, then it will feel overwhelming to the nervous system to receive. And it will, and and this is something that I say, it will feel cringe, uncomfortable. That's why you avoid. But cringe, cringe is the vehicle for liberation. The more moments of cringe that you are able to tolerate, slow, tolerable steps, if it's uncomfortable to receive, allow yourself to receive. Does the ick fall into that ick, as well? Ick, ick, ick and cringe yeah. are the vehicle for liberation. Ick and cringe and discomfort, taking those tolerable but uncomfortable steps. 
to be able to increase your nervous system's capacity to hold more. Right. It's so interesting because when we hop on social media and TikTok has been probably the greatest perpetrator of this, right? Because you, yeah. you get all this relationship content thrown at you, at least yeah. on the side of, of social media that we're on. And so you hear about all of these icks and they seem like the most ridiculous things on the face of the planet. Like really, that's something that turns you off from connecting with somebody else. And it, it can be something so benign, like a, a the way they wore their t-shirt, the way they pick something up. There's actually somebody that has collected all of these through social media and they make yeah. about it. It's hilarious. Yeah. I absolutely love it. But when you hear them, you're just like, that's ridiculous. Like that, they can't help that. So what do you think the, co the collection is? Is that the collection of those icks is these are the things that don't make me feel safe. These are the things that make me uncomfortable. I might say turned off, but really my nervous system doesn't have a capacity because it scanned the, my threat detector, my neuroception scanned my database, my internal database, and it reminded me of something or it was something that was not met. And so that behavior feels ick or cringe or uncomfortable. And I can label it as a turnoff, but really my nervous system doesn't like it and my nervous system doesn't feel safe around it. Yeah. But then we blame the other person for being who they are. And, and that's such a, a really difficult part of that because we're walking around saying it's an ick and the other person ends up taking that personally. And it like the way you chew you, your food, the way you say a certain word, like some of these things are really silly on, on the back end of this. Absolutely. Right. And so now that person's going to personalize that as I'm not good enough. I'm defective. There's something wrong with me. This is why people don't want to date me. This is why I don't have a relationship. And it's because this one person five years ago, 10 years ago, said this one thing about me. I decided that was going to be true about me and believe it because now I haven't dated for X amount of time. So that just makes me not dateable. I'm unlovable. And it's, man, the path to that is just incredible for the other person on the other side of that. Yeah, because you imprinted that as a core memory or as a, it's basically, what did you interpret it to be? You right. interpreted it to be a, a little bit of a mini trauma in terms of your identity. And it was like your personality or your behavior was met with rejection, disapproval, you know, frowned upon. And so there you then created a, a message inside of yourself. It's not safe to be fully me. And so I'm going to start to disown parts of myself in order to be accepted because we have a primary mammalian brain, which means that we are we will always choose survival over sovereignty and self-expression. We will always choose safety and survival. And what that means is community, <clears throat> belonging and tribe. So that your tribe is your family. Back in the day, your tribe was the group of people that you lived in, the hunters and the gatherers. And if you were kicked out of the tribe, you were in danger of dying. You needed that tribe to protect you. It literally feels like death internally when you are met with something that hits a core memory or a core belief or a core wound that got formed and imprinted. It, that's why it's so painful and it's so uncomfortable. And it comes up in the present day in the experiences that we and it makes us avoid certain things. And so if we tend to be more avoidant, I want to move away from this whole victim villain yeah. mentality when yeah. we go, 
when we go into this the anxious and the avoidant dance, I want to say one point. Let's take attachments out of the picture just for a second and talk about humans. And the bottom line is that all humans, when we talk about relational awareness, we have to understand that our nervous system is the vehicle that creates how we attach to people, parents, romantic relationships, friends. So we got to understand that really so that we can work with it in order to shift it. That's number one. But every single person in every single relationship that you get into, romantic, personal, there's a dance that we have that's separate than the anxious and avoidant dance, but it's the dance of closeness and togetherness and distance and closeness and togetherness and distance. And it's that tricky balance. Some people are wired for more closeness and togetherness, and some people are wired for more distance. But no matter what, we are always, there's these two primal urges. There's this urge for community, belonging, and partnership. You can't deny it. It is that wired for connection. But there is also this primal soul desire that is innate and human to be self-expressed and to have your own identity and to be individualistic and to have your own self-expression. So we are constantly balancing, how do I stay I, but also be we? And that's with everybody happening on a subconscious level. And if somebody is, I, I feel like I've had enough closeness and togetherness, and I feel like I'm losing myself in this relationship on some level, whatever it may be, I need to distance myself and go into what I like to do that makes me, that makes me an individual, that gives me a, a self-expression. I want to work. I want to work on this. I want to engage in these hobbies. And then that other person you are in relationship with either takes that as they want more closeness and they, the distance is, is met with the, the thing is, anybody, when there's too much distance, is going to get anxious. I don't care what attachment style you are. Yeah. We need a healthy dose of connection and togetherness and distance. Because that saying, the heart, distance makes the heart grow fonder. We need distance in relationships. We can't be with them 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Because the distance creates longing. And the distance creates... When you see your partner or somebody fully embodied in their work, in what they're doing, that's what creates attraction. That's what creates, and if we don't have that distance and there's too much we and not enough I, we don't necessarily, the, that's why a lot of couples, like the passion is gone, they're always together 24 seven, because they don't get to see them in their eye. And so we're always playing that delicate dance of balancing sovereignty, self-expression, individuality, which is an innate desire, no matter what attachment style you are on a subconscious level. That individuality is what attracted you to the person to begin with. And then we start to lose it and get lost in the relationship. So well, one do, becomes... do we lose it or do we try to change it? Because we need the other. I, I'm not comfortable around you because you're so much of an individual that makes me uncomfortable. So then we try to change the other person. And this is more, it happens at a subconscious level. You're not like oh, no, no, no. nefariously going out there trying to manipulate people. Some people do, but overall, we just do that because we're in this relationship with this other person and there's some things that we don't like and maybe you got some icks. So then we try to fix whatever those things are. Fix it or the one of the partners tried to individuate a little bit because you want individuation and difference, 
differentiation. And I, I work with my couples on that. I'm like, you want that. And the usually the person who tends to be a little bit more avoidant, who learned to run away from emotionality and too much closeness, goes to be a little more sovereign and individualistic and take a little space. And they're like, I can't even individuate. This person goes nuts on me. And then they pull away even further. And that's where that communication comes in, where you can communicate and be like, and it's always, I'm noticing that there's a pattern in this relationship with us. And what I'm noticing is that we are not able to close the gap. It seems like we're always skirting around connection and disconnection. And if there's too much disconnection, there's no relationship. And if there's too much enmeshment, it's codependent. So that's that delicate dance that everybody, regardless of attachment style, is playing. And so the conversation would look like the actionable step in order to work in the context of the relationship that you're in would be, I'm noticing that there's a pattern going on between us. I'm noticing that I'm not as comfortable. It seems that you pull away to do whatever you're doing, and I don't know what you're doing, but it reminds, I know you're not doing it, but it reminds me of maybe when my dad didn't pay enough attention to me. And I know you're not doing that, but it feels like that. And so what I really want is what would help you to want to move closer towards me so that I can know what would help you feel safer to move closer towards me? And then the other partner could say, what would make you feel like I am moving closer towards you? Because they're in their own world sometimes. Oh, I didn't even realize I was doing that. I was just being me. Right. I didn't realize I was inciting that. I wasn't actually intentionally doing that. Another example would be, and two things I never recommend is, oh, my therapist said, or we need to talk. I made a post yesterday about take the language of attachment styles out of it and just recognize, hey, there's this behavior that's happening. I'm noticing a pattern. In this scenario. And yeah. I'm going inside my body right now and recognizing, hey, this doesn't feel good. So I really need to have a conversation about this. But you need to ask to have the conversation. We're not going to hijack somebody. We're going to say, hey, look, I'm experiencing this thing. This is what's going on inside of me. And it's because yeah. of this other thing that's happening in this moment. And I just want to gain some clarity. What do you mean by this? What is going on? What's happening? When you pull away, I just need to understand what you're going through. And it's boom. Wow. Now all of a sudden we can start to have a more transparent conversation because we're not putting the other person on the defensive and they might be more inclined to have that conversation with you. Not all the time, but. Right. But we can initiate and have a be courageous. And I say it's courageous because it's uncomfortable. Vulnerability is uncomfortable. Well, you've never done it before. No. And your nervous, again, nervous system can only tolerate what it has the capacity to tolerate. And that window of tolerance that we talked about is that we want to keep increasing that window of tolerance for closeness, for communication, for receiving, for giving, for setting boundaries, right? And that language is really important, not being defensive, not stonewalling, not criticizing, not blaming, really coming into the space of I'm noticing a pattern in this dynamic that doesn't feel good for me. So let's say you want to have a conversation with your partner and you say, we need to talk 
And my therapist says is two things that lead to greater rupture. And we want to have, we can have rupture actually creates deeper intimacy, ironically. Yeah. And, but people are used to, in the past, when there was conflict, their younger selves go into the internal database. What experience do I have? It's all happening in a millisecond. What experience do I have with conflict? Oh, anytime I spoke my truth or I said what I really, it was met with rejection. It was met with disapproval. It was met with loss of connection. I better not do that. Or a denial of your reality. Feelings. And I felt maybe gaslit a little bit where I didn't feel like it was validated and I wasn't seen and heard. So therefore, it's better to communicate. Would you be available to have a conversation later on today or tomorrow? I just wanted to have a talk with you. So you have this conversation and let's say one of the partners is on their phone, right? They've agreed to have the conversation and the other person gets activated. A younger part is always showing up right. in that moment. Your younger parts and your core wounds show up the most in romantic relationships. And so that younger part is showing up and the communication would be, hey, I know you're not trying to ignore me and that you're not paying attention and that you don't value me. But when you look at your phone, it reminds me of when my dad didn't pay attention to me. And I know you're not doing that. I really know. I just what I feel inside is pain. And what I really want is connection and to speak with you. And I know that you're not doing it. You're not the cause of it. So there's having more of an internal awareness about my own nervous system and what's getting activated and a younger part of me showing up. And a lot of times both people's younger parts show up at the same time. There's no adult in the room. There's no embodied adult in the room. And so it's not good to have a conversation when both of those younger parts are showing up and they're getting activated. Then he says he or she is I when you tell me that I'm why I didn't do something and why I'm not doing something, it makes me it reminds him or her of the database that they have of a hypercritical parent who nothing was ever good enough. They could never get it right. They could never do it. And it's now showing up. And it's not the partner that's doing it, but it's the behavior. Again, this is separate than if there's abuse. This is separate than any of that kind of stuff. That's a disclaimer. This is in generally in relationships where they're, we're balancing this delicate dance of togetherness and closeness. And in that togetherness and closeness is where camaraderie and friendship is built. And in that distance is where longing and attraction and chemistry in that eye, right? And so balancing that, and that would be what the communication would look like. But the helpful thing about relational awareness is to be aware that your nervous systems are reacting to one another. And that's all that's happening. And if, you're, if you recognize that the younger part is showing up, we always talk about co-regulation and usually an avoidance window of tolerance to increases and their challenge is to be able to co-regulate because they never could depend on anyone. And the anxious attachments challenge is to self-regulate. Right. And but when there's not two adults in the room at this point, the, both of their younger selves are showing up. Not a good time to have a conversation. But what I would like people to know about the nervous system is that you can do what's called internal co-regulation. And so internal co-regulation would be I meet my younger self because in this moment, let's say you and I get into an argument, we're in a friendship or a relationship and my younger part shows up because I feel like you're not paying attention to me and I'm 
now seven years old, when my dad was watching TV or giving my mom the silent treatment, and I was, I'm now feeling all of those sensations flooded. My nervous system is flooded with all of that fear, and I want safety, and I am completely flooded now. In order for me to internally co-regulate so that I don't just depend on you, I need to bring in a fully embodied adult version of me. And what that feels like is when do I feel capable and able? When do I feel there's, we all have moments, we all have glimmers, we all have experiences where we are this capable, able, adult, able adult. And here's the thing, that capable, able adult has a more regulated nervous system. So the goal is that when that younger part shows up to bring a life raft or a rope down, but you have to do what's called sifting, okay? And sifting is a a term from Dan Siegel. You need, in order to embody your adult, to be an embodied adult, you need to feel the sensation. You need to have an image, a feeling, and a thought. That's what sifting is. That's to have a fully marinated, sensational experience of what it feels like to be a capable, able adult. And then what would you do to internally co-regulate yourself to create a corrective internal experience or a disconfirming belief would be you would, I don't want to go too far down. I want to be in my capable adult marinated self. So I want to offer a rope to the younger part of me that has a completely different autonomic tune. They both are existing, this capable, able adult. And the way I need to access it quickly, so I have to practice it, which is what is the sensation, the image, the feeling, and the thought, and the fully marinated experience of being in that capable, able adult that I know that I've been in. And there's been moments of it. I bring that in, and I'm basically giving a rope to the younger part of myself, and I'm saying, climb up. If I go down, but I'm going to attune to that younger part, And give that part what it needs. Does it need to be seen? Does it need to be heard? Does it need to be, it needs to be attuned to. That's the first thing. And what that means is I don't go down and be like, oh, I heard about these cold plunge exercises that you could do and you should breathe and blah, blah, blah. It's, you're talking to an eight-year-old. I want to get down a little bit into that feeling with, and be with that part and be like, wow, that must be really hard, but I'm more regulated. So I want you to climb up the rope with me because if I go too far down, then we, then the embodied adult is not able to internally co-regulate. That's how we start to create corrective internal experiences. But we have to have a sensation, an image, a feeling, and a thought of the embodied adult. We have examples of that in our lives when we feel that. That's internal co-regulation, and it's better practiced when you're not activated. It's better practiced so that you can bring it in an instant. And the more you do that, you start to create. Your body doesn't know the difference. That's reparenting, and that's internal co-regulation. You are giving yourself everything you never got. And the more you do that over and over and over again, your body now has a different imprint and the database shifts and the coding shifts. It happens in it's neuroscience. It happens internally. 
it feels like it's a somatic rewiring of your nervous system if you do that over and over again. That level of self-awareness is difficult to acquire. It takes so much time and effort and consistent action to be able to access that. To access the embodied adult or to access the... Because a lot of times the statement that gets made, I have to do all the heavy lifting. And so that can feel because we're trying to maneuver the conversation, the inner dialogue that's happening in that moment of I'm activated. It's because of this external source and these things that are happening. I'm already mm -hmm. in this place of blame. I need to pull back for a second, acknowledge that, and at the same time, acknowledge what's happening inside of me and where that's occurring and what age I am when that's occurring, and then try to, to bridge that gap in between all of those things to say and acknowledge, okay, I recognize what this is, and I know that I can be in this more embodied state because I've experienced it. Mm -hmm. but, but to be able to get there, there's all these things that have to happen to say, okay, yeah, I can be regulated. I know what that feels like. But we haven't dealt with that conversation yet of I have to do all the heavy lifting. It's something that pops up in my comment section all the time. I can't have a conversation with this other person because they're still hung up on the fact that they're doing all the heavy lifting in this relationship because that's what it feels like. Yeah. And, and I get that, but there's all these other things that are happening in the background that, that aren't being acknowledged. So that's why I say that level of self-awareness is really hard to acquire, but it's a necessity to be able to, to have the, the type of relationship that you want to have with somebody else. But that's all about relational awareness. If you want to be successful in any relationship, you have to be start to become aware and become more emotionally intimate with yourself and start to understand. And the barometer to know when a younger part has shown up is if it feels out of control or you feel overwhelmed or it's usually a younger part. Yeah, you get that, a drop. You get a drop of adrenaline. Absolutely. But this you know? embodied adult that you're talking about and that it's heavy lifting, this is a gift to your nervous system that's going to help you. If you look at it separate, then I'm doing the heavy lifting in the relationship. I'm doing what I need to do in order to self-regulate, which is an amazing skill. And if I can cultivate internal co-regulation, it's going to help me in every area of my life, regardless of if this relationship works out or not. I'm developing a new skill of internal co-regulation. That's going to make me a better worker. It's going to make me have better interpersonal relationships with people that I work with, people, colleagues, friends, things like that. So the embodied adult state is just, it's sifting. Bring up a sensation, an emotion, an image, a feeling, and a thought, and fully marinate. In, because we all know what it feels like to be capable and able as an adult. So that you can do on your own. I don't care if you're every avoidant Every attachment style should do that. What does it feel like? Because everybody has moments and glimmers of being a capable, able adult. And if you can bring up the sensation, the image, the feeling, and the thought, that's sift. That's Dan Siegel coined that term. It's called sifting. That creates a fully marinated experience in being in what does it feel like to be a fully capable, able adult. The more you can do that over and over again, then in that moment of dysregulation, you can immediately bring the adult in. 
that embodied adult. And you give a, 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 you know, this is the last example. I love telling stories and metaphors. So you're in the, I don't know. I see so many parents yelling at their children, like in a, in the store or something. Right. And the child is upset and the child is really upset because in their world, it's very upsetting what's happening in that moment. Like they want that toy and they can't get it, whatever it is that they get dysregulated about because they're feeling things very sensationally. Now, I'm not going to go in and say, like I said, oh, I've heard all these coping. There's all these wonderful coping skills to help you to calm down that I saw on TikTok and I saw on whatever else. You know what we should do? Maybe we could get you in a cold plunge or there's some maybe let's do some breathing exercises. Maybe that'll help you calm little kids, I'm sad. I'm frustrated. So I have to move in an autonomic state to meet that person. This is attunement. I have to meet that person where they're at, but not go too far in their fe- into their feelings. So if they're frustrated or depressed or upset, if I also become so empathic and we want emotional resonance, we want autonomic resonance and emotional resonance creates attunement. So if I am with that and I almost get down to the level, but I don't go into that because then we're too dysregulated. The child's dysregulated and I'm dysregulated and no one can help anybody. So I go far enough down to say, I understand that must be really frustrating and that must be really scary to be feeling that, right? And I'm offering a rope because my nervous system is regulated in that moment. And my mere presence and my attunement will get them, will usher them out of dysregulation. It will usher them out of dysregulation. And so when you see a dysregulated child and then the mother or the father gets dysregulated, again, it's the the parents' younger part showing up. They're getting, somebody wrote, I can't even get to what age I am when it hits. And you don't have to, you don't have to know. All you have to know is it's a younger part. It's just a younger part. If it feels out of control and chaotic and overwhelming to the nervous system, it's usually a younger part. And you don't have to identify that, oh, this database that happens at a millisecond. I was eight years old and I was yelled at in front of the class and I was really embarrassed and ashamed. And now I don't speak up. Because now when I'm met with confrontation or an honest conversation, I can't speak my truth because my nervous system doesn't have the capacity for it because it deemed it as not safe. Whenever we are faced with the choice of safety and survival, which is our nervous system's capacity to handle whatever is happening, or to be and have all our dreams and desires met and have sovereignty and self-expression, we're always going to choose survival. Because it that our body is gets it is in such a threatened state because of the amygdala being hijacked and autonomic nervous system dysregulation. But being regulated doesn't need to be that you're super calm and you're being regulated is you're socially engaged. I think everybody starts to think that it's all namaste. It's, it's a regu- not. An, a regulated nervous system allows multiple autonomic states, which just means different nervous system states to exist at the same time. Yeah, you're shifting gears. Shifting gears. So I have the eight-year-old self with this dysregulated autonomic nervous system, and I'm bringing in the embodied adult who is more regulated, right? And so I'm having each age, each trauma 
has a different autonomic tune and they can all exist. But if we bring in the embodied adult and we bring in these experiences, those moments that I talked about in polyvagal, which is these moments of ventral activation, like when you talked about really looking at the horizon and on the mountains and taking in the nature, there you go. Now bring in an embodied adult, now bring in ventral activation. Now we have multiple autonomic states at the same time. And that's that whole idea that they can still exist and you can still become regulated. It doesn't mean you're all of a sudden, I'm really calm right now. When I feel really relaxed, that's not a regula- necessarily a regulated nervous system. A regulated nervous system means that it's more resilient and it can tolerate the challenges and the stresses that it's being presented with. This may be difficult, but I'm more regulated enough to handle it. I'm not terrified in this moment. Yeah, it's equanimity. equanimity. It's that calmness in the face of adversity. Yeah. And the best way I can say, and if you want to ask anything or you want me to just tell one more story, it's up to you. Go for it. So just as an actionable step, so we can actually talk about an actionable step. So that was one of the actionable steps, right? So the thing would be, let's say somebody tends to lean towards being avoidant and we want to move away from victim and villain. It's just different emotional, it's nervous system capacity. Right. But we can have more compassion and understand that nobody chooses their nervous system capacity. It, it has to be worked on. And we want to go to the edge of the window of tolerance. We never want to go too far. I always told you it's at a 4% variable. It will be too overwhelming and we will abandon ship. So it's this common thing that I hear from avoidance is I just want to be on an island all by myself. I don't have to worry. This, I hear this island reference and or I want to go into the mountains alone in a cabin and not have to deal with people. With, with my dog. With your uh, And you are the person who has said that to me. And it's that common. And so I call it the island. And it's this island where it feels safe. And I don't have to deal with people's bullshit or emotionality, judgment or balancing their emotions while I'm handling my emotions. So the action and the tolerable steps. So I would say is if you're an avoidant or someone who tends to avoid now, people who are not avoidant also tend to avoid things. Anxious people have avoidant protectors. Secure individuals also avoid things. We avoid things that we don't have the capacity to handle in that moment. So if we're an island and no man is an island, we might want to be because it feels safer. And you are on this island and you are safest under the coconut tree, under the shade, nobody bothering you. I'm going to ask you if you'd walk over to the dock. Small, tolerable step. The doc is representative of initiating a conversation. If you usually leave an argument and get in the car, I want you to pick up the phone and say, hey, I'll be back in 24 hours. Or, hey, I, so that's that tolerable actional step where now we're having accountability and responsibility that we don't have to continue to operate in that. So if we take small, tolerable steps, so then I want you to go to the doc. And that's that small, tolerable step and go back under the tree and go back under the tree. This is a titration because your nervous system will get too overwhelmed and it will not be able to handle it. So these are action. Then eventually I want you to dip your toe in the water. These are courageous, brave acts because they feel like you're dying because it's your nervous system 
is so uncomfortable, ick, cringe. It feels like death internally. So small, tolerable steps to build your window of tolerance and your capacity for closeness, communication, and vulnerability little by little. Just like we work out little by little or we build any muscle little by little. But if we flood the system and we do too much too soon, we'll abandon ship. So that my eventual goal would be to dip your toe in the water and then the, the dock would now be the new normal because it expanded. Then I would eventually want you to swim and go back to the dock. And eventually I want you to go visit all the other islands and make your world bigger because the more expansive we feel and the more our nervous system has the capacity to tolerate and hold things, the more expansive our world is. The more, the less safe we feel, the less nervous system capacity we have, the smaller and more regimented our world is. I also feel when we get into this conversation about vulnerability, it's a very popular topic. We like the word. It gets tossed around a lot. But the issue that happens is you're asking somebody to hold something that they've never been able to hold before, and it's yours. It's not theirs. So we're having this conversation about vulnerability, but the other person lacks the emotional capacity to be even be able to have the conversation to begin with or to hold whatever it is that you're trying to give to them. Absolutely. And so the conversation really needs to shift into that emotional capacity. And then we can develop that into, okay, now we're going to increase a certain level of vulnerability. Like you're talking about, you're going to walk from the tree to the lake. You're going to dip your toe in. You're going to come back. Right. Come back. Come and, back. and that's the steps to be able to get into that. Not only just as a, as an individual, because you can do this on your own, but as a couple in relationship to someone else. And then validating that experience. Yeah. I know how hard that was for you. I know how difficult that was for you. Because a boundary, vulnerability, it literally feels like so threatening to the nervous system. So first, I want to understand my partner or friend's psychology, which means their nervous system, which means understanding their capacity and their bandwidth and their window of tolerance. And understand that what might seem easy to me is not to them. Right. And so I'm like, you know what? I know you're hard. Know you're hard. What's hard to one person is not what's hard to another person because of nervous system capaci capacity. I know how hard that was for you to receive that. I know. And I see it. And I'm, I see. I'm terrible at receiving. Can't and, receive. And if you were to receive and I gave you something to receive, I would be like, I know how hard that was to take that. And I see how hard that is. And I really appreciate that you were willing to get that uncomfortable and that you were willing to take that because I know how hard that is. I know that feels cringe, ick, terrifying and really unsafe to your nervous system. So I really want to encourage and validate I know how hard that is and reinforce that because everyone's heart is different. You also have to be able to recognize and acknowledge intentions. And I, I think that's really hard for a lot of us as well, because that can also feel like, what do you want from me? Because clearly this is transactional. So what is it that you want? What depends on how you view it. It would view yeah. it through the lens. We are in negotiations and relationships. Not a it's not a transaction, but we have negotiations. We have to negotiate time spent together. We 
let's say me and you were dating and we're seven years in and I'm like, I want to go back to school, Jason. And you're like, okay, that's going to mean that you are going to be away more. I'm not going to see you as much, but let's make this happen. How are we going to make this happen? Let's make sure we always have Thursday date night. And adjusting and being flexible and understanding that things are going to ebb and flow because of the law of impermanence and that these relationships will change and ebb and flow. But understanding like, okay, the relationship's going to look different now because I've decided to go back to school. And so I'm going to have probably less, I'm, I'm going to be putting less deposits into the relationship bank and more deposits that's going to be demanding of me and my time. And for my partner to understand that has nothing to do with how much I love you, nothing to do with how much I care about you. And they're joining me in this. They're understanding that. But we're still creating this atmosphere where we're still always going to have date night no matter what on Thursdays. There's still that connection, that moment of connection. I'm also that tolerable step with any attachment style. Maybe I leave for 24 hours when I get dysregulated. Maybe the next time I leave for 12 hours. Maybe the next time I call you and say, I'm going to be gone. Maybe the next time I leave for six hours and eventually it turns to one hour and then event. But that's the titration. Little by little, you have to have somebody who's willing to walk through the fire with you. Yeah, You have to have somebody. A lot of it factors that you got to factor in transparency of communication. And I just. We struggle so much with being able to say what we want, to say what we need, to even acknowledge that to ourselves and to our partner. It almost feels like a threat that if I acknowledge this or I say something that it's going to be taken away and they're not going to appreciate it or it's just easier to say nothing. Right. And and so I say nothing. But it's also a threat to your nervous system to set a boundary. Absolutely. Terrifying that because the last time I expressed a boundary or the last time the database, it goes into the database. And what happened the last time I spoke my truth? What happened the last time I asked for what I needed? What happened the last time I set a boundary? It was met with rejection. It was met with whatever. So this is why boundaries are really hard because you're coming from a zero deficit. If you've never set boundaries and stated what you needed, it's going to be extremely uncomfortable and it's going to feel like you were, you died and like you were murdered. Yeah, I'm not you, even a, feel your stomach dropping out or that dr- like, that burst of adrenaline going through your chest going, and your heart beating fast. And Absolutely. It's going yeah. to be feel, it's going to feel like you're murdered and you're dying, heart going into the stomach. But look, even there, it's always showing up in the body. Cue bodily sensation. Cue internal discomfort. Again, nervous system capacity. Yeah, and it's if you can get there, like all of a sudden you're like, oh God, I'm activated. You grab your notebook, you grab your your phone and you start writing in your notes app or whatever it is that you use, but you start documenting like, okay, where am I? What's happening? What's going on right now? What environment am I in? What did I just experience? What was said that made me feel this particular way in this moment? Now you start giving yourself this awareness that you can start navigating that stuff a little bit deeper and figure out and pinpoint. So when this happens, this is what happens internally to me. And now I can label that feeling as fear, anger, frustration, um, yes. whatever it is for you. So what's behind the curtain? I always call it what's behind the curtain. I like that. And that's that emotional intimacy. What's behind my curtain? What do I, do I like my job? How do I feel my job? We no, start no, with, nobody we, likes their job. We could start with, we could start, we don't. Do I like my friendships? Do I have enough friendships? Do I need more friendships? Do I want to cultivate more friendships? What does that feel like? Do I not have enough? 
getting behind the curtain to get curious about your internal world. And because or else everything that you want is on the other side of this pane of glass that's going to block you from getting it. So I have these dreams and desires. Maybe somebody wants to start a podcast like you and but they probably they can't because their nervous system doesn't have the capacity to tolerate it yet, yet. And so that's why we build. I'm the prime example. I started a podcast what over a year ago did nothing with it and because what's the reaction going to be who is this guy why should anybody listen to me and it's so you reach out and you bring on all these people that inspire you and now you're developing and honing the skills to be able to do something like this now you start trusting yourself and so your window of tolerance increased in this in this area absolutely and so and it continues to expand that you're giving yourself the evidence that Yes, you're capable. You can do this. It, there, it, it is safe. You're okay to do this. It's okay to speak your mind and to say the things that are important to you and to show up authentically as who you are. It's okay. It's actually mandatory. You have to do that. But this gets translated into other areas, right? So this area yeah. now you got comfortable with. So right. your nervous system slowly. And so you're now expanding your nervous system for what you're going to have in two months, in six months, in a year. And, and everything, so it, it gets, it's such an amazing feeling because everything's getting bigger. And, and it, yeah. And I, I'm watching. It feels you, bigger, well, right? You, I'm watching you grow. I'm watching your nervous system capacity expand because I'm such a nerd. This is the things I, I think about. I'm right. watching your window of tolerance and your nervous system capacity expand to hold more and more. And we have exactly the life that our nervous system can handle. And then, and then two months later, we have, and so if we keep increasing that window of tolerance, going to our edge, pushing a little past our edge, but then coming back, pushing past, coming back. And that's what increases it. And this is applicable to, you want that relationship, but maybe your nervous system is not ready yet to handle that it would be too overwhelmed. It's primed and it's prepared and it's ready for a particular relationship with wherever you're at right now. Yes, and that's okay. Right? And, and that is absolutely okay. And I don't think we talk about that portion of it enough that, you know, because we love to make excuses. This is the reason why this is happening. This is going on. And it's no, you right now, as you are worthy of love and having a relationship and being any point connected in, to somebody. At any point in your healing journey, you yes. are deserve to be loved. You're just creating more nervous system capacity, greater growth, more self-development, but I don't care what stage you're you're at. You deserve to be loved exactly as you are. All we're doing is working on being better versions of ourselves and being able to have more healing from some of our unhealed trauma and reprocessing memories. That's what I talked to you about with brain spotting, where we reprocess a memory And that's another thing that I do. It's natural flow EMDR where it doesn't have a charge any longer. So I remember these. So these unhealed traumas that I start to identify that are continue to show up as a pattern in my life. And you know what? I really want my nervous system capacity to expand and I have to heal this unhealed part. And so break this. The three modalities that are really help with trauma that are more than just talk therapy, four modalities, internal family systems, which is what I do, which is parts work, brain spotting, which is natural flow EMDR. It allows you to go into the subcortical, the subconscious, and 
to basically untangle the trauma that's trapped in a time capsule in here that continues to emanate a charge in your body and allows the younger part to show up. So we get to go in and reprocess that memory as just another thing that happened, but it no longer holds the charge in your body. And that's EMDR. And then there's brain spotting, which is natural flow EMDR. And then there's rapid trauma resolution and IFS working with your parts. And, and that's, that's that integration part that we talked about. It's that integration of all of those parts. Yeah. And, and the integration occurs in brain spotting too. Meaning if this is stored in a time capsule and it keeps emanating into my body, it's not integrated. It's right. stuck. It's stuck here. It's, it's stuck in the subconscious. So it will keep repeating the same patterns of what I'm comfortable with and being drawn to things that are familiar to my nervous system, but maybe not what the embodied adult self really wants. It's what I'm drawn to right now because of what's going on in here that's familiar. But once I can take this memory and integrate it into long-term memory as just another memory that happened, it's no longer stuck in that time capsule and it's not repeating on loop. And it doesn't keep showing up. And it, it's amazing to watch people with this trauma modality of brain spotting. It's natural flow EMDR by David Grand. And he worked with Francine Shapiro, who created EMDR. He was one of his first, her first students. And what he recognizes is he saw that people would automatically look somewhere to access a memory. And it was a gay spot. And so he basically took EMDR, developed it a little further with a little less protocol oriented. And what I find is people get less activated when they bring up the memory because there's a lot more resourcing going on. But that's integration. So this is the best way I could describe integration. Tell me about the last time you had a really good experience, a moment. We can okay. use today at the dog park with Chloe, right? That's always a joyful moment. Okay, so you looked to, I think, to the, to your, yeah, you looked over there. So where, where you look determines what you have access to. Yeah. And where you look helps you with memory retrieval. And therefore, where you look helps determine how you feel and what you have access to in the subcortical part of your brain. The stuff that comes out of my clients' mouths never came out in talk therapy, no matter how much we dug. And that's when you talk about, it's nervous yeah. system work. It's a focused mindfulness internal journey where we talked about all of this is happening in that because there's connection and attunement between me and the client and there's eye movement and there's reprocessing of the memory. I used it around, I got a panic attack in college, sophomore year, and then it was in the dorm. And I remember that first experience was the most terrifying thing that I had ever experienced. I never wanted to experience that ever again. And so I avoided anything that was a small enclosed area because it reminded me, like, oh, oh, I'm going to get it again. Oh, and I did it around that. And now I remember when I got it sophomore year, there's no charge in my body around it. And that's a miracle. And that's also part of that tolerable step to take that I'm going to go to therapy, that I'm going to learn how to connect and identify what's behind the curtain that I've been avoiding or running away from myself so I can name it so I can understand it oh that's what that is okay all there needs to be is a knowingness you don't have to get it right away just an openness a knowingness and I'm willing to try to get more connected to my emotionality 
I think probably the most important word that you used today was curiosity. I think so many of us, you know, we might get so caught up in the experience that we forget to get curious about why these things are happening. What's going on? What am I feeling? What am I thinking? What emotion can I tie to this? We don't go enough layers deeper into our experience and, and we keep it primarily at surface level. So that curiosity isn't just about you as an individual, but it's getting curious about other people and their experience as well. Can you zoom out enough to be able to accept and begin to understand another person's inner world and to create that connection with them with that level of understanding? And that's a really great point to make to drive everything home is that when you're in a state of curiosity and not judgment, you are in more ventral. When you are in a state of curiosity and compassionate self-inquiry, you are, when you're curious, you can externalize, you can get curious without judgment and curiosity is more of a ventral feeling as opposed to, and it's not this, get curious. What's going, what's going, why do I feel or why don't I feel or what am I afraid to connect to? And if, there's always going to be resistance and what's, just get curious about the resistance. What is the resistance? It's usually nervous. My nervous system feels overwhelmed and it cannot tolerate. You're telling me I learned how to disembody and not connect to my emotions, my needs, my sensations a long time ago. You're asking me to do that now and it feels really scary. That's why I would do it slowly. Just get curious. What's behind the curtain? Get more emotionally intimate with yourself through compassionate self-inquiry. And when you can do that with yourself, you can do that with others. I love it. Essen, I can't thank you enough for spending the past, I think we got a little over an hour together yeah, today. Yeah, absolutely. An hour and 13 minutes is what it says. So Good. It's just, our, our conversations always go for hours on end, but it's always so informational and so engaging. So I, I really appreciate you taking the time with me today yeah. and sharing all this with us. How can people reach you? So my website is eternalwellnesscounseling.com. You can submit any questions, inquiries there. I have a coaching company and a private practice in uh, Boca Raton, as well as I work at Relationship Institute of Palm Beach on Worth Avenue. And my social media handle on Instagram is smpinarly underscore LCSW. And I am building my social media and you've been such a big help with all of that. I'm really trying to, you know, it's my form of self-expression and my speaking my truth and hopefully reaching a larger audience and getting my nervous system capacities increasing right. to get more and more comfortable and technology. And I have guys, this is very, this is all because of Jason. He told me to get this and I'm like, what is that? And I just ordered it. And technology, there's some sort of like, there's a block, there's a resistance. For sure. And there's a block with it. And I just, I increased my window of tolerance for it. I kept avoiding it and avoiding it. And that's what we do. We avoid and we procrastinate right. things that our nervous system feels like is too overwhelming. But thank you for having me. For it's sure. always lovely. I feel smoother on this. Maybe I could be more breathy. Yeah. You know, as what ends up happening is you do more and more of these you end up finding your more authentic voice and then, yeah. and then you get to a place where it's, you know what, I'm just being, this is how I sound. This is me. Right. This is how I talk. So it is what right. it is. Like it or don't, not my problem. You have yep. to remember, 
if they're for you, people are going to show up for you. They're going to follow you, which you should definitely go follow Essen on social media. And make sure that you check out our other podcasts together because there's a lot of great information there. I think this is like number three or four for us. Yeah. I mean, there's um, the polyvagal one with the attachment yeah. styles. We did a lot, a sober curious one with attachment styles. Our self-love was one was. Yeah. So you're yeah. on the 21 day self-love challenge twice from July and October. So if you guys haven't signed up for the 21 day self-love challenge, I highly suggest it. It's a great opportunity to get on now. It's 40% off. and what a great way to start the new year with a little self-love. I know everybody's going to be putting their New Year's resolutions out there on social media, but let this be the one thing that you do for yourself. So go ahead, sign up. You get 30 plus hours of content and so many speakers. And I really want to, not just because I'm a part of it, but I honestly think, and I'm a therapist for almost 15 years, and I have scoured everything and i love i always tell you this i love your community i think you're wonderful and amazing and i love to see you continue to grow you inspire me you motivate me i'm grateful to call you my friend i love to see your growth i i'm so grateful to be a part of anything that you ask me to be a part of all the time and the 21 love to self challenge is I, it's really brilliant. It is such an amazing, I really think everybody, it's very reasonable, amazing authors, amazing conversations with Jason, amazing insight. There's so much variety in there that I yeah. swear to God, if you guys went to a 30-day wellness retreat or a 60-day wellness retreat, you wouldn't get this much information in there. That's ultimately the goal it's with like, this. It and, is like a retreat. Like yeah. it really is a self-reflective, focused, internal journey that guides you through the work that you've done yourself and with collaborating with some Jessica Baum is on there. The ang angry therapist is in. He's not on that. Was, no, but he, but he has a podcast with the Gina Maffa is on there. Yeah. I know you have Brie Larson's wonderful. You had Talia on there. She's wonderful. I think Sabrina, it, yeah. everybody has something really different and beautiful to offer. Their spirituality, breath work, high performance coaching. I'm I'm watching it. I'm trying to get through all of the things because I'm learning. I learned. I'm I always do, gonna. Always I gonna do be love that the people that have been with me from the very beginning. I've been starting to get messages from them because they saw it from the start, and everything has to start somewhere. Yeah. Right. And so now we're at this other place on the other end of that, and they're going through it for some of them the third and fourth time they're going through this. And each time it's a new experience. And so the testimonials that I've been getting from people that have been with me from the beginning and the people that have just joined has been absolutely phenomenal. I, it, it's really taken me uh, back because to take something, to create something from nothing is really huge. And then to have so many people enjoy it has just been you get emotional about it because you're, know, you're you, literally you impacting people's lives and they're just, it's just really cool. It is really cool. And it's a opportunity to, there's some seeds. If the seed gets planted, if it's, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to start therapy or, you know what, I'm going to just do this. It's just an amazing thing. So I encourage everybody to sign up for it. I really awesome. do. I mean that authentically from the bottom of my heart. Essen, I know you got to get going. Yeah. So thank you so much for okay. being here and we'll do it again soon. Okay. Have a great day. Bye well. everybody. Thank you for watching.